Hi, everybody. Welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence along with Andy Isco and our producer, Greg De Palma, as we're getting set to go against the spread on this week's College and Pro Football Cards. And you didn't hear Victor King, nor did you hear Jim Feist. They're both off this week. Jim's down under the weather, battling a big, tough bout with the sinuses. And Victor, unfortunately, as he discussed last week, his father passed last week. He had to make the trip to Cleveland, Ohio, just returned yesterday, and he's still sort of transitioning, if you will. So we'll look forward to visiting with Victor and Jim, hopefully, next week. With that, I want to welcome in Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. Andy, how's everything going for you in Las Vegas these days? Well, Mark, things are going very well, stunningly so after last night's game between the Raiders and the Chargers, which cost the Chargers uh, uh, head coach uh, the inevitable uh, departure from the uh, Charger, from his head coaching position and raised a lot of eyebrows as you uh, saw a team that got shut out on the same field four days earlier, scored a franchise record 63 points, 42 of which came in the first half. And they probably could have scored more if they wanted to. It's really an amazing thing. So things are going extremely well here, despite the fact that temperatures are still uh, below normal for this time of year. Well, I would like to say they're below normal down here, too, but they're crummy is what they are. It's, we got a lot of rain, a lot of cool dampness right now. So I guess it's better than that white stuff falling down on the ground and slipping and sliding and doing all those things. Greg, how's everything going for you this holiday season? Good. Uh, a lot. Very busy. And I think that's a good thing for us. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because while our friends and family, everybody's kind of winding down and making uh, plans to visit and, uh, you know, to go to short work days, uh, this is when things get actually busy for us. Uh, it's not the same. So that's the industry we chose. And, uh, but that's all right. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a labor of love. Uh, probably a lot more labor than love at certain times, at some points. Uh, which is those, why we're still. Which is why we're recording the show at three fifteen Eastern time on Friday. Exactly, because there was a lot of labor in ahead of all this for all of us. Yours truly put the college football bowl guide together this weekend. Everything went backwards. Everything was held up a week or a day or two. And um, I have these slits in my eyes keep them open here for the show here today. But really, I'm just fine. By, we'll by the way, Mark, I'm sorry. You, you, no, I was going to say you mentioned the bowl pack, and uh, you were kind enough to uh, send me a copy of it, and uh, it was well worth the extra time that uh, you had to put into it, and I would highly recommend it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the subscribers to the web to uh, the, the podcast or viewers of the podcast have been, you know, with Playbook many, many times over the years, so they know how great it is. But it's the uh, the newer ones who are just getting into the betting industry uh, will be uh, more than amazed at the, the amount of work that goes in, the quality of the product. And, you know, as, as Victor, I think, has detailed over the, the past few weeks, the great results that you've had, not just uh, throughout this season, but over the last several bowl seasons as well. And, you know, it puts the uh, old thing, into, the old saying into perspective. It seems that the harder you work, the luckier you get. But in your case, the harder you work, the better you get because uh, you happen to not have to rely on a lot of luck. A lot of those games are very clear winners from the outset. Well, I appreciate that very much. Kind words, Andy, and uh, it means a lot to me to hear from you, a, a veteran, a pro in the business, an experienced pro. And uh, I, I kept reminding myself that as I was doing this till three, four, five in the morning, but uh, we got it done. And uh, I rely on it religiously. I can say I'll start with it this Saturday and have it open just about every day till the end of the college football bowl season. And we'll talk about the college football bowl games, Andy, Greg, and I, just a little bit here on the show. But with that, uh, let's turn it over to what will be our NFL Game of the Week 
on tap this week. Now we're going to go to Saturday this week instead of on a Sunday, uh, largely because there's a pretty good looking football game on Saturday, and I don't want to let it get past us here. That's going to be that's going to take place when Denver takes on the Detroit Lions this week. A matchup of two potentially playoff hopeful teams. Detroit looks like they're there. Denver battling to get there. Andy, what's your take on the Broncos and the Lions this week? Well, well, Mark, I'm going to have a little bit more to say about this game a little bit later. But just uh, at the outset, uh, you take a look at the way these teams' seasons have unfolded. We can start with uh, uh, with Detroit. Uh, they got off to that really great start. Then they got that uh, shellacking loss that they suffered. I think it was 38 to six in Baltimore. They sort of recovered because they've won some games in a row, but they haven't been the dominant team that they were uh, earlier in the season. At the same time, this is a team that came alive over the second half of last season and were amongst the best teams. And I guess if you were to base the playoffs last year uh, on how teams did over the final eight or nine games of the seasons, the Lions would have been in contention for the NFC's number one seed. That's how well they played. And uh, it's an important game for them because they have allowed uh, Green Bay, especially, to move back into the playoff picture, if not even just the uh, NFC uh, Central race, along with Minnesota, who's also got a tough game, And interestingly enough, on Saturday. When you look at Denver, I know a lot of us, myself included, expected this to be an improved team this year simply because of the change in coaches where they brought in uh, 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 Sean Payton to replace uh, uh, Hackett for uh, the, the Broncos. And of course, Russell Wilson arguably had, if not the worst uh, year of his career last season, close to the worst last year. And it was expected that Sean Payton, with what he did in New Orleans and Drew Brees, would have a significant improvement uh, on this uh, in, in, on this team. It took a while. And so they got off, I think, to a one in five or a one in six start. But now they've won all but one of their last five or six games to get very much not into just playoff contention in the AFC. Most, most people thinking wildcard. They are only one game behind the Kansas City Chiefs. And go. remember, these teams split their season series this year. So they'd have to go deeper into the results to uh, uh, to find the tie. What would happen at a tiebreak if they ended up tied? Of course, Kansas City still has some division games uh, remaining uh, as well. And I think the uh, uh, the Broncos, who beat the Chargers handily last week, was really one of their more comfortable wins since they began this stretch run. So the fact that it, it was a new coach taking over a, a different quarterback, even though it was a veteran, that although we expected Denver to be a playoff contender coming in, it didn't start out that way. But it's understandable because we've seen in the past many times it takes a new coach and quarterback combination to take a month, a month and a half to get everything in sync. So uh, I'll have more about this game later, but those are the, uh, let's call them what I consider the overall intangible or non-fundamental aspects surrounding the handicap of this game as far as part of the handicap goes. Great. What's your take here between these two football teams? It appears to me, I could be wrong, but it appears to me we have one team unraveling and the other coming like a freight train. Uh, whether or not the odds makers caught up with that or not is another story. But how do you see this game happening Saturday? Yeah, if you look at it, Denver six and one straight up, five and two against the spread in their last seven. Detroit just two and two straight up, one and three against the spread in their last four. Keeping in mind one of those wins was that comeback against the Bears, uh, which they did not cover. Uh, and I, you know, here's what I think. I, I think Detroit has kind of gotten away from what they really do best. And that is play power football, and I can understand. You know, yeah, I can understand the reasoning. They got the exciting rookie Gibbs in the backfield. Goff's off to a great start. Uh, the rookie Laporta and all that. But um, 
Montgomery was having such a great start to the season. They were just pounding it away with him early on. Then he gets hurt. He comes back and they talk a little bit about, well, they want to rest him and they don't want to pound him again. And they're, they're no reason to overdo it. They got the rookie. And, and I think they've gone away from that. And we'll find out whether or not – no, look, no knock against Gibbs. The kid's a fantastic player, and he's going to be a fantastic player in this league. But that's not their game. And I think I'm, I'm going to be – and this is a very bad run defensive team, Denver. That's their Achilles heel overall. I just get the sneaking sus- suspicion that they're going to go back to their roots from earlier this season and just try to pound the ball down Denver's throat. And if they do that, I, I think they'll be better off. But it is hard to go against Denver in this spot because – you're getting four and a half, so even if they lose, there's still a chance that you can cover, and I probably will lean towards that direction. Yeah, I think you're right there, uh, Greg. You take a look at Dan Campbell and his M.O., it looks like he would try to get back to the basics in this football game sooner than later because if we're talking about it, you know he realizes it, and so too does his players. As you mentioned, they got out to that one and five start to begin the season, and it was just a horrible game against Miami, the worst game of the season for any team. 70 to 20, they got beat, allowed 726 yards in the contest. But as we mentioned here, they've been really on the come here of late. They're allowing just 16 points a game in their last eight football games. And what that reminds me of is that when you're looking at statistics this time of the year, you can't look at them as a whole. You have to break them down. And if you break Denver stats down here, in the quarters, the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter, you can see the improvement by this football team, and they are not the team that their stat season-long averages tell you that they are. Yeah, It's the, it's the team that who they are right now. So I'll be to the Denver Broncos. It sounds like you're going to be in the Denver Broncos, and we'll find out what Andy likes when we talk with him a little bit more about this football game on in the show. By the way, Mark, uh, Den- yeah. uh, Detroit Denver's on their third of three straight road games, three straight Ooh. weeks. Uh, how do you interpret that trends-wise, historically? Well, the things that jump out to me when that happens, situations like that, and I have it set up in my database, is when those teams do that, it notifies me when they're favored in games like that because okay. that's when you want to fade those teams. You know, they, they become a little bit tired. They're laying points. might not be the game that they want to be in. This might not be the game Denver wants to be in. But I think for the time of the year, it is. But three games on the road is never a good thing. Uh, especially if you're a favorite, but un- for, fortunately for Denver, they're not the favorite in this football game. And by the way, they also have a very easy schedule after this. They have the Patriots, the Chargers, and an end at Vegas. So they should win their next two without a problem. And then that last game might be a little tricky on the road, but uh, they could afford to lose this game and, and they, they'd probably still be okay. By the way, the interesting thing about the uh, Denver schedule the most difficult of those three games may indeed be that game against Vegas at the end of the year. Yep. As bad as the Raiders have been over the past years, I think it's like five or six straight games that they've beaten the Denver Broncos, yeah. including including <laughs> the open of this season, 17-16, before we knew. And I, I don't penalize Denver for that one, even though it was at home. But maybe we got a little bit too excited about uh, the Raiders uh, going out on the road. Although, again, again, it was a spot where they had historically done well. But the expectations preseason were higher for uh, the Broncos than for the Raiders. And yet we may find these teams competing for a wild card spot, possibly even the division because Kansas City still has a game against uh, uh, the, the Raiders, I think, uh, what, Christmas night, and then I think a game against the Chargers at the end of the season. So very interesting dynamics in not just the AFC overall, but the AFC West in, in uh, particular. 
Andy, you mentioned uh, you're in Las Vegas Raiders, and I'll be interested to see. I'm going to tap into my database, especially before next weekend, to see how teams in the NFL who got blanked and then scored 60 points do the next <laughs> week. I don't think I'll find too many instances. No. One. <laughs> One? Yeah, that's – yeah, this, this – last night. One. Last night, that was it. Huh? Yeah, it has I'm, to be. You, you might even go back, and I can do the same thing. I can go back – we go back about the same length. I think I go back to like 81 or 82 right. or something like that. And even if you lower it from being shut out at home and then scoring 40 or more points at home or 35 or more points at home, you might still find very few instances over the uh, years. I believe that, uh, uh, in fact, if I, if I read it correctly this morning, the Raiders' 42-point uh, win uh, was, I think, the second highest margin in uh, recent years, only to, I think, uh, the 45 – I'm sorry, the 42 nothing halftime lead was the greatest halftime margin, I think, since the Patriots uh, be, were leading Tennessee 45 nothing back in the heyday, I think it was like 2009. And I think those are the only two situations of a team leading by that margin at half. So I would, th- I would guess that unless the Patriots got shut out the week before, which is unlikely in 2009, this may have been the first instance of a team w- having that big of a halftime lead. Hey, you're tuned in to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show, being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv, where they've got a lot of Christmas holiday bonus specials going on right now. And they've always got their every Friday night minus 105 juice exclusively at uwager.lv. Give them a call toll free at 1 800 uwager or log on at uwager.lv to take advantage of the holiday specials and that minus 105 betting juice. You'll be glad you did. Now, with that, uh, with Victor being gone, Jim being gone here, we're going to have a condensed show of sorts here. And uh, speaking of Victor here, and our hearts went out to him and still do, you want to remember that the totals tip sheet is also not being published this week because of the situation. So next week, you can look for the totals tip sheet, and Victor will remind you on the show about that next week as well. Andy, let's move over to the line moves segment here of the show here. And uh, it's a really popular segment. We like to know what is happening in Vegas as far as the line moves go. And right now with this world of backup quarterbacks that we're in in the National Football League, it seems like one or two new ones are being announced every week. Where do we stand at the line moves that we're looking at this week in the NFL? Well, thanks, Mark. And before we get to the uh, games that are still to be played, I want to talk about the Thursday night game that we have been talking about before because it involves the old axiom of don't overreact to what you saw last. And by that, I mean how much of an adjustment is being made. Now, I always talk about the advanced lines, the 10-day advanced lines. So these were the lines as of, I think it was uh, uh, December, uh, was about 5th, I think these lines uh, came out. for the games of this past weekend. So the games after week 13, but before week 14. So when those lines came out a week ago this past Tuesday, the Chargers were three-and-a-half-point road favorites at the Raiders. The total in the game was 42-and-a-half, okay? On Sunday, when they take these lines off the board, Denver uh, lost. Uh, De- Denver defeated the Chargers 24-7, to and the Raiders lost that uh, tough game 3 nothing at home to the Minnesota Vikings. The key play in that game was after the uh, Raiders had finally made it into uh, uh, the uh, red zone, uh, Hunter Renfro, who got the catch, who brought him in there, fumbled on the uh, the next play, I believe it was, and that would have broken what was then a 0-0 tie in the second half. So both teams lost. Raiders lost a tougher, ga- a closer game, but and maybe as a result, and of course, 
Herbert was injured. We didn't know the extent of the injury after the Sunday night, after the Sunday afternoon game, but we expected that he would miss at least this week. It turns out he's had surgery. He's going to be out for the rest of the season. So whereas they came off as three-and-a-half-point road favorites, the new line that was posted had the Raiders up to a one-and-a-half-point home favorite. A reasonable adjustment considering the expectation was great that you're going to lose your uh, your all-star caliber, all-pro caliber quarterback, which was the case. The total, however, was interestingly ad- uh, adjusted down from 42.5 to 34. Part of it had to do with the Raiders uh, being shut out and also that they hadn't scored a lot of points in their previous few games. And the same thing with the Chargers. The week before, I think it was the 6-0 win at New England, albeit in horrible conditions. They also had been in a little bit of a scoring drop. But uh, you know, an 8.5-point drop seems to be an, a huge adjustment downwards. In fact, I believe only once in the previous uh, 13 games this year uh, were the Chargers were the Chargers involved in a game with a total of 38 and a half. Uh, everything else, I believe, was higher. Raiders had a few more lower totals because of the low scores and some of the teams that they played in the dysfunctional offense. So I thought that that was an over-adjustment to the line. I thought the adjustment, if you're going to go down from 42 and you take into account the the injury to Herbert, maybe you go down to at least a couple of key numbers, like a 37 or a 38. And they went down to 34 and a half. It actually dropped initially to 33, I'm sorry, to 34, dropped initially to 33 and a half, ended up getting some late action on Thursday that actually brought the closing total up to 36, which is still below the key numbers or what was even more key numbers, you know, a decade ago, 37 or 38. So I thought I'd throw that out there. Get your thoughts on the, was it an overreaction or I think it was a combination of both the quarterback, but I think there was a, just a greater amount of overreaction considering you crossed what even in the modern NFL are key numbers. 21-17 is a, you know, a 28 to 10 type game where 37 and 38 still come into play. Not as much as they used to, but still a relatively decent percentage of the time. Well, Greg, what's your thought on that? Well, uh, I don't think so. I mean, if you take a look at it, I would have, Probably, I mean, I understood completely why the totals adjusted the way that they did, especially after a three nothing game the week before from the Raiders. Uh, you know that 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 would scare the hell out of me, uh, not knowing what you'd get in this game. You know, because seriously, if the game would have ended up six three, would anybody would any, and we woke up today, I don't think anybody would have been surprised. So uh, yeah, I mean, we know what the real surprise was was Vegas didn't even have four hundred yards of total offense. How do yeah. you have like barely th- what 380 some odd yards of total offense and you score over 60 points? And that's I'm not where even the cuffs that- and the collars don't match, Greg. When the cuffs and the collars don't match in those stats, yeah, there's something askew. They're exactly and the Chargers right. didn't even have a, a boatload of turnovers. Right. And there were no kick returns for touchdowns. They had one pick six, I believe, and that was it. It was like, what? Are, 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 are you are you talking last night or? Yeah, last night. Oh, no, they fumbled like three or four times in the first half. That helped. Oh, the lead fumbles. The, yeah. Okay. All yeah. Right. The, the Raiders also got some of those points. They had, I think, an interception return for a touchdown, yeah. a, uh, a fumble return for a touchdown, and a trick play for a touchdown when they were already up 40-something points. Oh, and, nice. the, and, and the Chargers got uh, two of their three touchdowns on, I believe it was a kickoff return and a punt return in the game. It was just a very weird game. In fact, I would argue that uh, the Raiders – we're in the two most bizarre games of the season, the 3 nothing shutout 
and the 63 to 21 win. But when I was talking about the adjustment, I was talking about more so the lines makers adjustment of the eight and a half points going from 42 and a half to 34, as opposed to, you know, if they had opened it at 42 and a half and, it let, and, it, and they reopened it, let's say at 37, I could understand the public reaction there. That might have been a small overreaction. I was surprised at the reaction made by the lines maker, which initially turned out as a, as a, as a move towards the direction of the under by half a point, and then went back the other way, which was what I would have expected if the lines maker had opened the total uh, where it uh, where it ended up. Uh, well, I think a big reason, Andy, that that line moved that way myself personally is uh, in charting every team. I mean, I come to charting the Chargers each week and logging in their stats and so forth and whatnot. Their offense has been anemic, and that's even with Justin Herbert. Yeah. So now he's out of the lineup. I don't know how it figured to improve any at all. So there was going to be an adjustment made, obviously. The question is, as you say, was it too large of an adjustment? And I think what ends up happening in games like that is a lot of value seekers come out of the woodwork, especially when you get down to those low-level numbers like that was last night. And I know one thing, when the game was sitting 42 points at the half, those value seekers are feeling pretty good. I actually thought that the lines maker recognized all that. I would have expected that, given this has been a huge season for unders to begin with, I think there's something like almost 25 games above 500 uh, for the unders versus the overs. And that was after a couple of winning uh, over weeks that they might've opened it at 37 or 38, knowing that the public, since they've been burned on overs so much this year would drive that number down and be able to create even more of an opportunity for the sharps who are more likely looking to play the game over because of the significant adjustment. So I think that the lines makers may have actually cost themselves some money by not having more action on the under once it once the line was really below a 37. Yeah, we'll run that by Victor next week on the show because uh, he's kind of into these prime time games and what the over under numbers do in these prime time games. And as you say, it's been an under year in the National Football League so far. I don't know how much they've adjusted primetime games, but the, you know, the fact of the matter is the betting public comes out of the woodwork to bet primetime football games. Well, when I, they come I, do, yes. I do recall Victor talking about all those primetime games, the Thursday night, Sunday night, and Monday night games, having a huge edge to the under over the first 12 weeks of the season. And then I think maybe there was that, I think it may have been week 13 where he had like two or three of those games uh, go over, but still, for the most part, people had been playing the over on these primetime games, uh, were getting burned, and that might have been another reason why. Because you know, the public is late to react if for in general, okay. Right. The lines makers react quickly, and I thought that they had an opportunity to get even more people playing there. Now, it's easy to say after the fact, but I looked at the over in the game last night simply because I felt it was too much of an adjustment by the lines maker, not the public. I agree with you. Sometimes these line moves can be way, way too dramatic. And I can relate that a little bit in the college football bowl games. And when we get to the roundtable segment, we're going to talk about this baby here. This is the playbook, yeah. if you will, college bowl guide. And it's available now at playbooksports.com. And one of the things that I ran into difficulty with putting it together this year are what sort of adjustments were being made in the college bowl games because of all the transfer portals and everything that was going on in the world of transfer portals and coaches leaving programs as well. Uh, you know, one guy who wrote uh, in, our, in, in the bowl guide <laughs> brought out a good point about what happens to coaches when they enter into a transfer portal. You know what they call that? Fired. That's why he's entered into the coaching transfer portal. They got flat out fired. These players, they end up going for more money at different schools. But we'll talk about that here in just a moment or so. Any, any other line moves that you saw that were significant yeah. that we should know about? 
Well, a couple that uh, that come to mind involving uh, uh, some of these games. Uh, for example, we've seen the Steelers and the Colts, another uh, Saturday game. The advance line had the Colts a three-point favorite at home, total of 40. Interesting enough, after the Steelers lost for the second time at home as a, a slightly under a touchdown favorite, first losing to Arizona, and then their uh, uh, their, their loss uh, last, actually it was last Thursday night to the uh, Patriots at home. Uh, and the Colts, uh, uh, they, they lost by a larger margin than expected, but they were playing a, a desperate and uh, decent uh, Bengals team with a quarterback, uh, Jake Browning, who had come off uh, you know, arguably his best performance in one of the few opportunities he's had. Uh, so it was a one-sided loss. So they actually reduced, rather than penalize the Steelers for their back-to-back losses, they penalized the Colts a little bit more. And instead of opening at three, they opened at two and a half, which seemed interesting. I could have I could have understood if it opened at three. It actually has been bet down to now where the Colts are only one and a half point home favorites. The total reopened at 42. That's gone up to 42 and a half. And I think what a lot of people haven't realized this year about the Colts is surprisingly, they've been a solid team offensively as far as putting points up. If you take a look, I like to look at median scores. In other words, you play 13 games. You you put them in order from their lowest scoring game to their highest scoring game, and you take the one in the middle, which in the case of an odd number is a single game. In the case of an even number, you'd average the two middle scores. So in 13 games, I take game number seven. And it's there in, I think, the low to mid-20s. And they have a lot of games in which they've scored in the high 20s, even into, uh, uh, I think, some of the low 30s there. So it, it's it's a little bit of a, of a misperception about the Colts not being thought about as a team that can uh, score points. So a little bit surprising uh, that the line uh, actually opened higher. The lines maker, I think, adjusted. We haven't seen any movement there. Uh, a couple of other interesting line moves that are worth talking about. Uh, some of them are injury-related. I think in the uh, Texans-Titans game, uh, the Texans were initially three-and-a-half-point road favorites, a total of 42, and, of course, uh, with C.J. Stroud entering the uh, – that's at, at, at Tennessee this week. There were three-and-a-half-point road favorites. With C.J. Stroud entering the concussion protocol, and based upon uh, what we're seeing, it seems more likely than not that he's that he's not going to play this week. The uh, reposted line after he got injured and they put the lines back up uh, had the uh, uh, the game at a pick and the early money came in on the uh, uh, the Titans up to two and a half and now up to three. And I'm even seeing some three and a halves uh, out there. Total adjusted downwards from 42 to 37 and a half. And that makes uh, uh, make that adjustment makes sense given the outstanding season that Stroud has having. And there's a huge difference between uh, uh, him and the, the backup. So that's an understandable adjustment. Line moves in the Jets-Dolphins game. That game opened with Miami, a 13-point advance favorite with a total of 40 and a half. Uh, after the game was reposted, we saw um, that uh, uh, the Dolphins were put in as 10 and a half point favorites, uh, 40 and a half the total. Tariq Hill seemed banged up. He's now, I think he expects to be available, but it almost sounds like there's a 50-50 chance that he won't be available. The reposted line was 10 and a half, was briefly bet up to 11 and a half. And then when the situation around Hill uh, become more noticed that 11 and a half went down to as low as eight and a half. It's now back up to nine and a half and the total of four point uh, better move down. Better you know, Andy, it's funny. You mentioned that about the Miami dolphins. Uh, they're a team that's really, really battered with injuries right now. And they went into that last football game and felt against Tennessee that they were beat up there as well, but felt that they probably still had enough talent on hand to take care of the job. And they just unglued like unbelievable in the, in the final 30 seconds of that football game. Uh, now they're going to face the same dilemma here again this week. They've got three starting offensive linemen and maybe even a fourth starting offensive lineman that are out for this football game. 
Uh, you're going to see probably some sacks to two of that he doesn't want to see this week as well. So if you're a prop player, you might want to consider stuff like that. But uh, that's what's evolving here right now with the Miami Dolphins. They're a football team here right now that's doing the same thing the Cleveland Browns are doing, and that's facing the injury issues. Yeah, and we're seeing Cleveland at least dealing with it, but they've had much more time to do it, and their losses yes. were significant early in the season, losing your starting quarterback and your starting running back. Uh, the interesting thing about the Miami game against Tennessee is like, uh, what, two and a half minutes ago, and despite trailing a good part of the game, the Dolphins, after that second touchdown, actually were covering the double-digit point spread briefly before uh, the Titans got their uh, uh, their their first touchdown to come back to pull within, I think it was six. And then of course the uh, game winning touchdown. So yeah, it's a tough situation interested. And in, in, which brings up uh, an interesting handicapping concept because how does Miami respond? They played a poor game yet. We're in position to not only win, but win by double digits. And then they gave it back. Do they have a letdown? Do they become refocused? It's another situation you almost have to uh, consider with the Kansas City Chiefs this week in their game against New England, where it looked as though the Chiefs were going to win. And then they had that penalty, which is, of course, a different subject, although I believe it was the correct call when you look at the replay. And in fact, the flag was thrown certainly before the pass was caught by Kelsey. So we didn't know what was going to unfold. Uh, so and it was a legitimate call. Anyway, how do they respond or do they respond both Kansas City and Miami? You know what? We played a horrible game last week. In the case of both teams, they ended up losing games that they arguably could or should have won. Actually, I should say it the other way. Should have or could have won. Uh, do they come out with fire and say, uh, we're going to be totally focused and we're going to make sure we're not in a position in the last eight minutes of the game to lose? Hey, Greg, uh, let me ask Greg a quick question. If I can jump in here, Andy. Uh, do you think that Patrick Mahomes would have went off on the referees had uh, they not scored on a play like that and it turned the and turned the ball over. Would he have gone off on the referees for calling that penalty? You're talking about. Uh, you mean if they would have won if, the if game? They, if they uh, let's, let's assume that uh, they didn't score on that play, and that's why he went off because they oh, scored. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, because they called the penalty. If they didn't no. score, we could see Patrick no. Mahomes going off. No, absolutely no. not. So what, so what verification or logic is there in him going off? Yeah. We're, I'm only going off on you, Mr. Yeah. Referee, because you cost me a touchdown here. Yeah. If you I, cost I me think, a touchdown, you wouldn't hear anything from me about that. Yeah, I think it had to do with what's been going on with them over the last month or so. And also, you know, you're defending Super Bowl champs, they haven't had a stretch like a stretch like this since early 2021. Uh, so, you know, they had the bad officiating the week before. So all of that, it was just, you know, the competitive nature. I'm not giving him any excuses. Uh, he's gotten a lot of fair calls. The Chiefs have had a lot of fair calls over the last few years. He's had a lot of fair calls. So, you know, you got to you got to step up and be mature and be a man and be a, an actual you know leader. And that's something that he'll hopefully grow from. You know, he had uh, at least the uh, class to apologize the next day for the things that went wrong when he had time to cool down. But I think it was just, and, and Greg sort of alluded to it, the frustration, not just of that game and the week before, but the frustration in the Kansas City offense really all season. If you really take a look, and Mark, I'm sure you got the stats to back this up this as well, Chiefs have been winning because of their defense this year, much more so than their offense. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. the wide receiver situation, it, that was probably just, I mean, he's not going to point to yeah. Tony. And, you know, call him out. But Tony and, you know, Sky Moore hasn't worked out so far. Uh, you know, the rookie Rice, he's only a rookie. But, uh, you know, they took away Tyreek Hill. And, uh, and, and, and last, last year they got away with it. You know, Juju played well. But it, you can't get away with that two years in a row. And it's really a little bit surprising that with Andy Reid, 
one of these receivers have not stepped up. That's been they, they've just made countless mistakes. They've been banged up, and it's been all on Travis Kelsey. Uh, and uh, you know Patrick Mahone's sitting back there, and I'm sure he's just been very frustrated. Yeah, they're just not as talented as the receivers he's had in the past. That's simply put. It's I think the proof is in the pudding. Any more lines, Andy? Uh, I, I I can do. Um, let me see. There's one more that I think is uh, uh, somewhat interesting, and it's one of the bigger games on the schedule, and that's the Cowboys and the uh, and the Bills. Uh, a little bit of interesting movement on the total in what expected to be a high-scoring game. The advance line was 48 and a half, and uh, it was reposted at 48 and a half, which seems high enough in what's been a low-scoring season. And yet, we've seen the line in that game go up to over 50 and a half, which suggests it's going to go up and reach a key number of uh, uh, 51. And I wouldn't be surprised, considering the I'm not going to say desperate mood or situation that the Bills are in, although it is certainly a critical game for them. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a lower-than-expected scoring game because you might also see a little bit of a letdown out of Dallas after that big win last week that now has them tied at 10-3 and with the 49ers and the Eagles. Now, I don't expect them to win the uh, NFC East because Philadelphia has a much easier schedule with a pair of games against the Giants surrounded against uh, the game to uh, uh, against the Cardinals, whereas the Eagles still, I'm sorry, where the Cowboys uh, not only have to play Buffalo this week, they have to play Miami uh, next week uh, before ending with a game against Washington. So I think uh, that this could be a situation where a, somewhat of a letdown by Philadelphia, by a Dallas might not be a surprise because I think they realize that they're going to end up being the top wild card, meaning that they'll get to play the, we- the, the weakest of the wild cards. It'll be uh, the number two seed against the uh, number seven seed. And I think that that might result in the offense not being necessarily as productive. And I think that Buffalo's game plan will be to shorten the game as much as possible and also concentrate more on taking away what Dallas likes to do on offense. And Dallas, we might see a sloppy game out of Dallas offensively this week. You know, and uh, also um, maybe you're going to maybe that'll be a good excuse for Dallas, because let's keep in mind, sort of like Miami. You know, we don't know about Miami because every time they have to step up a competition, they're not able to do it. Let's take a look at Dallas, and they've only had two road games um, versus winning teams this year, uh, and they've lost both, San Francisco and the Eagles. So yep. this is, I think this is an important game. I mean, because chances are they probably will have to go on the road in the postseason, and if they can't start winning these types of games against these good football teams, what is that going to tell us? Sort of like the Miami Dolphins, you know, so far haven't beat a, a winning team. And uh, now they're starting to lose the losing teams. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so. going to make it's going to make that week, uh, uh, week 17 game. I think it's the Sunday night game. Ravens and the uh, Dolphins playing, which could ultimately decide the number one seed in the AFC. I think you're right, Andy. I think that's, that's where they're headed. That's what it looks like right now. Okay, Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas shared with us some of the major line moves that have happened on the football card this week. With that, guys, let's talk a little bit about the college football bowl games before I move on to our awesome angle on the show this week. Uh, Andy, any thoughts you had on the college football bowl games? I know there was a big discussion about Florida State you know, being slighted. I personally feel the Georgia Bulldogs were slighted by not being here, the first number one seed to ever not make the playoffs uh, going into the final, final ranking. Uh, but any other thoughts you had on the bowl card that happened this year? Well, a couple of things that you sort of alluded to earlier, and that is handicapping the bowls because 
for many, many years, you didn't have the transfer portal. You didn't have as many players just uh, uh, opting out because they wanted to protect their status for the NFL draft. You didn't have as many coaching changes involving teams going to bowls that you have now. And so the major factor before was, what is the motivation? Is a team happy to be in a bowl game? Do they look at it as a reward or do they look at it as, gee, you know, we're done playing. We didn't, you know, we didn't win our conference, didn't have as good a season. We qualified because we were six and six or seven and five. And they'd rather be doing something else, especially during the, uh, the uh, bowl games that lead up to Christmas, if not also the ones leading up to New Year. So I think the handicapping of these bowl games has become a lot different. And whereas in the past, if you could identify a significant, let's call it emotional or interest edge, you could get in in these bowl games as soon as the line came out and have probably what would end up being the best number in most cases. Now with the transfer portal and, and these decisions being made throughout the bowl season, if you make a, a, a bet right after the lines come out on that Sunday night, Monday morning after the bowl pairings are announced, it might end up not being a very good number because all of a sudden the defections start coming in. So that's changed the entire handicapping process. It's much more... Uh, there's much more non-fundamental handicapping that goes into these bowl games than, say, a decade ago before the, uh, the defections and the changes in the, and the composition of the teams playing changed so much. So uh, I'm still considering the fundamentals when, in certain matchups. I look at the, uh, at the motivation. In fact, you mentioned the Georgia-Florida State game. It'll be interesting to see what the motivation is for both of these teams being disappointed and having a chance for each of them to prove that they deserve to be, uh, instead of the number five or six team, perhaps the number four team. Does uh, uh, Florida State go out and show that even without Jordan, the quarterback, uh, that they can still beat one of the top two or three teams in the country, which is what Georgia still is? Or does Georgia want to show that, you know, Florida State's a really good team, especially on defense. Uh, let's see if we can go out and put 40 up on, uh, on Florida State. It would have been a lot more interesting. It's a great, attractive matchup, but it might have been more of an interesting psychological handicap if they were playing teams other than each other. Or if Georgia would have gotten into the playoffs and Florida yeah. State had not. Well, they wouldn't be playing each other, obviously, yeah. if Georgia had gotten into the playoff. That would be a moot point. But uh, I think it'll be interesting. It's, I think one of the, like you said, the key motivational football games on the bowl card. And you talked about teams being in bowl games that they don't like to, or want to be in. That's my starting point when I'm looking at foot, college football bowl games. Is You have some teams that are absolutely elated to be there. Uh, they worked hard. Uh, they came out of nowhere. They finished the season strong. They were awarded a bowl game. Let's go. You have other teams that started the season with higher aspirations and didn't have a good season. They barely eked into a bowl game. And you wonder whether or not, you know, they're going to come and play. And uh, I'll say this on this weekend's college bowl card on the first bowl card. I think UCLA checks that box that I just mentioned about. It's a team that uh, had eight and a half wins for their season win total. And they were projected by some people to finish either third or fourth in the Pac-12. They ended up winning seven games this year. And they're ending in a, in a bowl game in a in a cab ride away from home for these kids. There's nothing rewarding for UCLA to be in a bowl game like this. And then you look at the other side of the equation, uh, you've got a Boise State football team that's thrilled to be in a bowl game like this. So I think you look at things like that in, uh, in, in as starting points in handicapping bowl games, and I think it can lead you to bigger and better things. Greg, what's uh, your take? By, by, by the way, let me just interrupt before we get to Greg. Yeah. In that UCLA-Boise State game, one of the comments I made was, I wonder what the attendance will be from the UCLA fans in that game so close to home, especially if it's a good beach day. <laughs> well, 
you know, it might be a SoFi situation. Uh, the LA Chargers, the LA Rams, and now the UCLA Bruins. I don't think you're going to see a lot of fans in that stadium from UCLA, Andy. No, there's no, no. reason. And no. Um, but, but here's the thing, though, that on the flip side, and what uh, Andy started out talking about, referencing the transfers, because this is definitely going to be an interesting handicapping lesson for us this season. Here's a perfect example for what you just said. Okay, now. You can look at UCLA. Do they want to be there? doesn't matter. Does it care? Okay. But what's on the other side? And you're absolutely right. Boise, red hot, win the division, interim coach, becomes the coach. All that, all of that's great. But then we have to keep in mind this. Boise State's top two quarterbacks out. Taylor Green, the starter, transfers to Arkansas, won't be playing. Who's the starter? True freshman, C.J. Tiller, who's never had a snap in college football, for the Boise State Broncos, and their top wide receiver, Eric McAllister, is not playing. So you've got a true freshman starting a quarterback for Boise. Your top wide receiver's out. So that kind of puts a big you know, wrench into Amber, the whole. Think, right. Yeah, I mean, it makes it that much more difficult to handicap. And by the way, UCLA star edge rusher, uh, this kid Latu, who could be a top 10, probably will be a top 10 draft pick, he's out. He's not playing. Yeah, that's what this portal uh, madness is all about, and it's how it's dampening the bowl games. There's other bowl games that are affected like that. Uh, you take a look at Tulane, and Willie Fritz takes the job with Houston. He takes five assistants with him, and adios. You know, he, he, he's gone. Uh, Ohio University loses their quarterback and a slew of players. and they're, You know, they're a completely different team. But if they put a gun to my head and had asked me, would I be interested in backing these teams that lose their players to these transfer portals? My answer is absolutely yes. What about the, the interims, Mark? Do you have uh, any historical trends on how the interim coaches do at bowl, at bowl time? Well, you know, I started keeping that, Greg, but I ended up not going anywhere with it, largely because it's all relative. It depends upon what type of team it is that they inherited, were they good, were they bad, were they, did they have deficiencies and so forth and whatnot, and who they were playing, obviously. So I'm the, uh, you know, the, answer, the quick answer to that is, no, there was no edge in a, thing like, in a situation like that. But... The point I'm trying to make here is, is that these kids that are stepping up here, these are kids that were probably all state players in high school, first team all state that are now going to get their chance. Sure. The Ohio State Buckeyes, a couple of bowl games ago, go back when uh, Garrett Wilson and Kristen Alave trend, or portaled out from Ohio State. And in who the Rose in Bowl. Who's that? It was in the Rose Bowl that they decided yeah, who, not who, to play. Who a bowl game. Marvin Harrison. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I'm saying is yeah. you, you, you don't know. Top, yeah. Top of our programs, you're going to find situations just like that. Yep. And ha how do we know this kid, CJ Tiller, isn't going to be Boise State's next good quarterback? We have no you idea. That's what, that's what you don't know. But no. I, what I'm saying is the combination of the value yep. and the fact that you've got excited players wanting to fill their shoes. Uh, it doesn't keep me away from that team. It makes me want to get closer to that team. Any thoughts well, you I, have? I, yeah. You're talking about UCLA, Boise State with all those opt-outs and transfer by the way the boise state interim coach has been named the head coach based upon a lot of what he did over the start of the, of the balance of the season but what i was thinking of with all those defections and then of course you brought out the defensive player and i think that sometimes these teams like a ucla they may not play as hard defensively as they normally would if there was interest there it makes me look towards the under in this game because it might very well ucla's been ucla's almost been like the the Kansas City of college football this year, surprisingly winning with their defense rather than yes. their offense in many cases. 
Uh, and of course, with all the inexperience starting on the part of Boise State, they may have some difficulty putting points up. And that's last time I checked, that total was 48 and a half. And you know, I was looking under even before uh, the uh, uh, the defections came out. So that might still be a, a good way to approach this one. Because well, I, I also I also like Boise State, but can they overcome all those uh, the departures, the, the absences that they have? I'm not so sure. So whereas my first thought was to play Boise. I'm looking now more at the under, though if, though if I did play the game, it would still be on the Boise side. And it's also a very interesting um, uh, situation uh, that you have to uh, keep in mind, too. Uh, I, you mentioned the Boise State. They give them the, the, the interim coach the, the job. And this kind of happened with Mississippi State last year. And I, I didn't I, – I, I, I don't think I've seen it happen before. Maybe it has been once, but it seems like every time – an interim coach gets the job. He does well in the last few games. He was never going to get the job in the first place. The, 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 the university decides, all right, he did a nice job for us. Let's bring him back next year. It just doesn't seem to work. It was almost like, yeah, everything kind of worked. It was magic. But really, was that guy going to get the head coaching job? Was he really a candidate? Um, now, maybe this just gives Brian Harson another year because I still think that's the perfect marriage to bring him back. As we've seen, you know, guys like uh, Shiano and others that have come back to the university after having a, a good go of it the first Radical time. Radical funds, yes, right. Yeah. So, um, so all right, give him a chance. Maybe he'll be the guy. But, yeah, I just – I'm a little bit wary of those types of hires. Well, the, the only difference is it had to be – remember, last year it was Mike Leach passing away suddenly that uh, for Mississippi State that caused the interim coach there as opposed to uh, had he left you know in the middle of the season for whatever reason and the interim coach had a chance to get in there so he was almost named simply because they had to name somebody with such a short time to prepare and of course the players were going to go out and play a great game I think it was against Illinois and yet even with all that motivation they managed to win the game but yeah. it, it was a very late win because they were trailing much of that game when I really would have expected a uh, much more effort right from the start so sometimes you don't know how that's going to work out but i think that that is fortunately a very 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 rare instance as to why an interim coach named fortunately uh, we don't see that occurrences i i don't can't remember any time prior that the death of a coach right before the bowl time uh, or even in the middle of a season uh, would uh, would would cause a co would cause that kind of interim coach to be named well, we've got other coaches that have also made the move this year. The Ohio University coach you mentioned before, uh, not the Ohio University, uh, Dino Babers, Syracuse, Syracuse. gone. Uh, all of a sudden, there's love for Syracuse. I don't know why. Uh, you know, they couldn't play with Dino Babers. I don't know why they're going to suddenly improve. You mean unless, in the game? What we don't know is the players like this interim. You know? Are you talking about the, in this game? Yes. Really? Okay. Yes. I think there's a lot of excitement there at Syracuse. Uh, I don't know about this game. I haven't looked at that. But uh, there's, there's, uh, they have warranted excitement because the, the new head coach is like a master Northeast recruiter, Fran Brown. Uh, and he's already made some uh, key moves where he's turned kids over to Syracuse. Now, the question is, is going to be whether or not the staff knows how to coach. Because a great recruiter doesn't make a great head coach or a coordinator. And Fran Brown does not have a lot of experience as either. So that's going to be the tricky part. Uh, but we all know, you know, if you recruit, it can mask how good you are as an X's and O's coach. Well, that's and a great course, point. And of course, right, by uh, the way, this, this game is being played not too far from where South Florida is located in, in, in the state of Florida. 
Yeah, geographically. Yeah. So in the in the Syracuse situation, they named him the head coach, and he's going to coach the team, correct? He's not going to. Yes, but he's not going to. Not the interim. No. The, yeah, the interim will inter still coach the bowl game. And the new yes, head coach I was will trying take to say, I don't year. think you find new hires that jump in and coach no, bowl games. No. no, they don't have time to get a program in place, right? No, no, exactly. Yeah. So the players that's why I wasn't ready. sure when you said that they were excited about the game. I was wondering maybe there are. I haven't. I've been more focused on the fact that they're very excited about uh, this new head coach and where they're going to take him with the his ability to recruit. Well, interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for the weekend, guys. I know we got six games on Saturday. There'll be a, probably another half dozen games between now and our next podcast, and then things will really start ramping up. We get to the bigger and the better bowl games, and uh, it reminds me of uh, when handicapping the bowl games. It, to me, it was a lot like handicapping the NCAA basketball tournament, where we did it in rounds. Uh, handicapping the bowl games a lot in the past was pre New Year's Eve, our pre New Year's Day. And New Year's Day games, you know, the New Year's Day games being the the, the the big football games and the pre ones being the minor bowl games. But that's all being chopped up now, thanks to ESPN and the way that they're ruling college football these days with almost every game. I think every bowl game will be televised this football season. I want to remind everybody out there once again, the Playbook 2023 Bowl Guide is available online right now at playbooksports.com. 30 pages, wall-to-wall -wall information here. Uh, one particular stat here, and I'm going to run this by you guys. Uh, Andy, I'm going to see if you might know this. This is I'm going to catch you off guard here probably. But one of the things that we do in the bowl guide is we uh, tear teams down on how they fared against other fellow bowl teams this year. And I think it's a real strong gauge to find out whether or not they fit or they belong playing the same ilk that they played uh, the regular season. Well, there ends up being – Six teams that uh, failed to outyard an opponent, uh, failed to outyard a fellow bowl opponent. And there is one team in particular that was outyarded all seven games this year against other fellow bowl teams, and he's favored. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm trying to idea? think because I, I, I did some of that kind of research. I haven't got it in front of me right now. Uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, I'm trying to look at it from the perspective of which, which of those teams would be favored. Cause if I listen, if I heard all seven teams, I could probably guess which one, but, uh, I'll let you, I'll let you share it with me. Well, and I'll the, tell you, and the audience. I could give you another clue and tell you they're probably maybe one of the most downtrodden teams, uh, disappointed for the way that their their season ended, especially like the last play of the game ended. I'm talking about the Auburn Tigers. Auburn. Yes, yeah. exactly. They went up against seven other bowl teams, were pushed all around the field. I think they lost 169 yards a game, net average. Yeah, they were very – look, the, the thing that surprised me – remember, this is a – it doesn't happen often. They lost at home as a 24-point favorite to a New Mexico State team that I give Jerry Kill. He should have been you know, right up there as far as coach of the year is concerned Absolutely. when he took over the program. Remember, this team went, I think – Six and zero down the six and seven zero down the stretch last year. His first year there, and they yep. had a, a two and three start this year. Then they won every game until they lost to Liberty in their conference championship game. And uh, you know they're favored in their bowl game. They uh, they play this weekend against a Fresno State team. I think it's Fresno State if I'm if yep. I'm correct. Uh, wonder how interested Fresno State is. And, and the game's being played in Albuquerque, so it's a few hour drive from Las Cruces. But I'll be interested to see. New Mexico State has to be very enthusiastic, and I can't see many Fresno. Uh, uh, fans making that trick. And, no, you, and by and the you way, Tedford, Tedford's not going to be coaching the game. He, he stepped, stepped away, away for health reasons. Yeah. yeah, so that's a big deal. 
And like you said, there's a perfect example. Even though I believe New Mexico State is without, I think their top wide receiver is transferring. Their quarterback should be back. He got hurt in that Liberty game. That's big. And Kill. Kill did not. Now, whether or not he's just telling everybody, I'm not going anywhere because of my health. I'm happy here. I'm just going just gonna to be my spot. Whatever the case may be, you got to believe Aggie fans are thrilled that Jerry Kill, there's, there's no news about Jerry Kill going anywhere. So that's really great for the program, uh, back-to-back bowl games. Uh, so I would consider that a big handicapping uh, uh, notice there is that you, they're basically at home against a team that faltered down the stretch. They were awful down the stretch, Fresno. Coach walks away. I, I just, I mean, how do you not go with New Mexico State in that, in that type of situation? There's a lot of handwriting on the wall in this football game, correct? And by the way, Mark, you talked about teams excited to be there. How about Jacksonville State making it into their first year yep. as an FBS program? And James Madison, even though they didn't get the waiver, they got in there because there weren't enough qualified teams. You have to believe that those two teams, I think James Madison plays Air Force and the Jacksonville State, uh, uh, they open the bowl season uh, tomorrow uh, in their game. Not necessarily saying I'm going to be backing those teams, but I'm certainly not going to go against them. Yeah, by the way, that game is actually another typical, well, it's one of those home games per se because Lafayette, Louisiana yeah. will be playing yeah, in, in the, the Superdome there. Yeah, they're playing in the Superdome. But still, I think that's a perfect spot to take Jacksonville State because just what Andy said, and, and Lafayette has had a pretty weak, you know, average season. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, and, and then, uh, uh, by the way, New Mexico State's only a three-and-a-half-point favorite in their game. Jacksonville State's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, by, by the way, Jacksonville State is in Alabama, not Florida. Yes. It's a different Jacksonville. And I'm a little bit surprised personally, guys, that Jacksonville State came the favorite in the football game, if for no other reason, because of logistics. Uh, the fact that they're the new kids in the block, first time ever in the FBS, first time bowl game. And now they're favored at a site that strongly, strongly favors the opponent. Yeah. And, just, and by the way, James surprised. Madison without their coach. Yeah. Okay, so he's gone. And um, so they're going to have an interim. And we have to keep an eye on Air Force's quarterback because they looked awful down the stretch without him. And James mm-hmm. Madison is only a two-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. If we find the Air Force quarterback does play, I think the line will move significantly because they were a good football team with him, and they completely, completely emptied out without him. Uh, before we move on, uh, Mark, uh, Andy, uh, he, he's going to uh, have to head out, and I know he's going to want to get out his pick before he leaves. All right, I will go back to that game that uh, we were talking about before, uh, which is the Detroit-Denver uh, game on Saturday. And I know what, uh, what you guys thought about the Denver Broncos, and it's hard to, uh, uh, to disagree that these two teams are playing differently. And, uh, you know, after starting 8-2, and two, the Lions have lost two of their last three. They seek to avoid its first back-to-back losses since the early part of last season. We touched, touched upon how well they played at the end of last year. Denver started 1-5 before winning five in a row, which is a streak that ended in Houston two weeks ago. And to their credit, they bounced back with a very impressive wire-to-wire 24-7 win on the road at the Chargers last week. And they are now in a tough spot, as uh, Greg mentioned, playing uh, their, uh, uh, their th- third straight uh, road game. Uh, which is always difficult. This is also a critical spot for the Lions uh, based upon their uh, recent play. Uh, they return home after a pair of road games 
the uh, game uh, against uh, New Orleans two weeks ago where they had a big lead and had to hold on for a win, and then last week's loss at Chicago. And coming up next week, a trip to Minnesota for the first of two games against the Vikings to end the season, and Dallas up after that. So this is uh, their only uh, road game, their only home game following, uh, you know, in, in basically a month's period. So it makes it very, very important. I think part of, I, I mentioned earlier that the 38-6 to loss at Baltimore sort of shook them up, and I think the Lions may have been taking for granted the way that Minnesota struggled with some of their close losses early in the season and Green Bay's early season struggles. They may have sort of let up a little bit. They may have assumed that they they were the easy NFC North champions before yep. we even got to midseason. And now all of a sudden they're in a situation where they need to get a win. And this is their best situation probably down the stretch as far as getting a win. I'll be that they're going against a team that is equally motivated. It's uh, uh, again, it's because of the fact that this team showed how good it was from the middle of last season through the first month of this season. I think we see, and Greg talked about some of these changes, I expect some very aggressive play on both sides of the football from the Lions on a Saturday uh, in, in that game. And as long as whatever penalties occur from those uh, that aggressiveness do not negate big plays by the offense or turnover recovers by the defense, that uh, that aggressive play will uh, make us remember what they uh, looked like early in the year. They regained some of their early season Swagger. I know the line is four, four and a half, but I'm expecting a big win. Force Denver to play from behind, and I think if the Lions can get out to that lead, they'll put some pressure on the uh, uh, on on the Broncos' offense, and I think that will make the defense, which looked very good earlier in the year, that much more aggressive and that much more impressive. So I've laid uh, uh, the four with the uh, Detroit Lions, and um, I'm feeling comfortable about it. Any on the value side of this football game and motivational side as well, knowing Dan Campbell, you know how this football team geeked for this football game to try and stop uh, this unraveling that's happened in Detroit. So we'll put the Andy down for the Detroit Lions for his complimentary play. Andy, I know you said you have to get out early. Is it the case now, or are you going to hang around for a little bit? Tell us. Uh, I can I can last a few more minutes. Okay. Well, I'm going to do my awesome angle of the week and then my free pick. So anytime in between, if you want to jump in, say goodbye, just feel happy to just jump right in, if you will. Shall do. Okay. Uh, Our awesome angle of the week this week, guys, we're going to call it Saturday's Not All Right. And what we're looking to do is to play against any NFL home favorite in a regular season Saturday game. If both teams are coming off a loss. Home favorite, Saturday, regular season, both teams off a loss. These home teams are just 5-22 and 22 against the spread, going all the way back to 1980. That's an 81% fade, and we'll be fading the Indianapolis Colts for our Saturday's not-all-right awesome angle play on the football card this week. Another thing about that game, Mark, and that yes. is, and uh, we talk about it all the time, and uh and and it happened again, Washington and Oregon, uh, the lines makers, they just keep favoring the teams uh, that lose to the other team uh, over and over again. Uh, and now NFL might be a little bit different, but let's just keep this in mind. Pittsburgh has won eight straight in the series, uh, including seven of the last nine years, which is a little unusual considering they're not division opponents. So they played seven times in the last nine years. Pittsburgh winning them all, and uh, they're getting a point and a half from the Colts. So let's just keep that in mind. Yeah, good point. History also comes at the angle as well in the football game. And you might have had Pittsburgh on your anti-playlist most of the season, as I think most of us did. But 
you know, you've also got the Greg Tom or uh, Mike Tomlin factor here, where you know he's going to be trying everything he can to pull out all stops to avoid that first ever losing football season this year. Uh, any other thoughts you have on the card this week, Greg? Uh, before I wrap it up with my complimentary play, NFL card. Yeah, let's take a, a couple of games that I know. Uh, I, well, let's just if we just talk about that Cincinnati game, uh, since we've talked about the other two games on Saturday, Cincinnati is actually uh, my top play of the week. And that is and, and, and here's a big reason why. And I've been able to capitalize off of this. And, and of course, this is available uh, to you from the playbook uh, football preview guide. The Bengals are now 21 and six straight up. 21 5 and 1 against the spread in their last 27 versus non-division opponents as well as 20 and 2 straight up in the last 22 versus winning teams in that spot. Now you might say, "Well, but that, yeah, it's it's going to be, you know, the, the quarterback and uh, he's not there and yeah, but the last two games in that spot with Browning 2 and 0 straight up and against the spread, 5 and 0 in that spot this year against the spread. So they're in that spot once again, taking on a non-division opponent, the Vikings. And I think the Vikings are, I know that they were able to bail one out last week, but uh, to me, it kind of reminds me of the way the Jets beat the Giants uh, earlier this year, an ugly game. And then the very next game, the Jets just kind of imploded and it wasn't pretty. And I kind of expect the same thing to happen in Minnesota. I I just think the Bengals right now uh, feeling pretty good about themselves. And that's why I like them in that spot. Uh, They have a really, both teams have a really good stretch though. Tough stretch. Uh, Minnesota will play Detroit twice and Green Bay. Cincinnati will play on the road at Pittsburgh next week at Kansas City and then home against Cleveland. So both of these teams fighting for a playoff a playoff spot. They got some really tough games coming up the rest of the way. Greg DePalma, our producer, executive producer, with his observations on the National Football League card this week. And let me wrap things up, if I may, on this show here with my complimentary play on the football card. And this is being brought to you. I want to remind you by our friends at uwager.lv, where they feature those five percent monthly rebates for any losses that you have. While you're a customer with uwager.lv, they'll give you 5% back. Give them a call toll-free at 1-800-U-Wager or log on at uwager.lv to take advantage of your monthly 5% rebate. With that, my complimentary play on Sunday's NFL football card. We've got slim pickings here because the college football bowl games aren't many and the NFL is chopped up a little bit between Thursday and Saturday. But on Sunday's card, I'm going to look at a battle of the Bays here and take the points with the Tampa Bay Bucks against the Green Bay Packers on Sunday. You got a Tampa Bay football team that is now suddenly number four in the NFC playoff picture with that win last week. They vaulted to the top when they took Atlanta down. Atlanta slipped all the way down to number 11 in this wild and woolly playoff chase that's going on with all these six and seven football teams. So this is a key game here, if you will, for the Tampa Bay Bucks. They come in here. With Baker Mayfield, their quarterback, he's thrown for almost 3,000 passing yards this year, 20 touchdowns and eight interceptions. He's had a really nice football season, quite an under-the-radar performance by Baker Mayfield this football season. Tampa Bay also 9-2 to the spread, off a win against an opponent, off a loss. You take a look at Green Bay coming in here. Uh, when they've been favored in back-to-back games, the second time they're favored here, they're just 2-7 and seven against the spread. I think the pressure's all on Green Bay, who's sitting at number 8 right now in the NFC playoff race. Give me the Tampa Bay Bucks plus the points for my complimentary play on the card this week. Andy, any final closing thoughts before we wrap up the show? 
Well, I, I like especially what uh, Greg said, especially pointing out, and it's something that a lot of us have to con consider. I alluded to it, that you did as well. And that is the remaining schedule down the stretch because for so many of these games, one loss and you are mathematically eliminated. Now, it doesn't, yep. again, and by the same token, must win does not mean will win, yep. other yep. than the fact that two teams in must-win situations, one will win and the other won't. It's a question of what happens afterwards. And the other thing, as we get closer to the end of the season, and it may start a little bit earlier, it may start in week uh, 17 rather than just in week 18, and that's players who sit out, play, teams that have already uh, clinched playoff spots. Don't necessarily assume that the teams that have clinched playoff spots and know exactly where they're seated are not going to be trying for, to hard to maintain that momentum, even though the line will be adjusted probably down from where they might be, either a smaller uh, smaller underdog or, uh, or a, uh, a smaller favorite if they were going to be in, in one of those two roles, of course. Uh, they keep those in mind as we handicap. And, you know, they, I, I, although I love the extra action, the adding the 17th game destroyed the concept of quarter by quarter by quarter because now we have to chart some of the stats in a quarter that has five quarters. And I've uh, uh, decided to use it really as the third quarter which would be games uh, nine through uh, fourteen, uh, nine, yeah, nine through thirteen rather, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, because the last four weeks still have those factors in play, whether it's uh, weeks fourteen through seventeen or thirteen through sixteen. Uh, it makes it a little bit difficult, but the concepts are the same as you enter that the final four-game stretch of the season. I want to thank everybody for joining the show today. Greg DePalmo sitting in for Victor King and Jim Feist. Andy Isco joining us, as always, from Las Vegas. And as Greg would remind you, please hit the subscribe button down below and become a subscriber to our YouTube channel. You'll be glad you did. You'll be notified on everything it is we're doing. We're making a big push. Hit the subscribe button. There's no charge to subscribe and become a part of the Playbook team. Until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence. Remind you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.